This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Steward's World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 5 Arden is turning into a problem, Maddox said, and flung her crumpled letter into the overflowing basket next to his desk for punctuation. Not if you follow the plan. Jago turned away from the window that looked out over the palace gardens. You're not getting squeamish, are you? About what? Squeezing the dirty little farmer princess dry and tossing her aside when she served her purpose? Nauseated at pretending to be stupidly in love, yes. Squeamish, no. He scowled down at the miniature portraits neatly arrayed on the far side of his massive desk, twice as large as his father's. Five pretty feminine faces looked back at him. Contemplating all the work it would take to woo and seduce, marry and impregnate each of these targeted princesses exhausted him. And what were the chances he could ensure none of them would marry someone else before he could rid himself of the previous distasteful breeding stock and move on to her? How many husbands would he have to kill and widows would he have to console? before he had solidified his claim to most of the thrones on this continent. Yes, exhausted. She's broken her promise to me. I just know it. Maddox gestured down at the letter he had tossed away. Jago had read it first, as always. Jago wrote his love letters to Arden, which he then had to copy over in his own handwriting before sending to her. They had no secrets. A tiny smirk bent up one corner of his mouth accented by a sharp, hot prick of anger. They had no secrets, although Jago didn't know that. Dermed had made contact less than two months ago, revealing to Maddox that he was the mastermind behind Jago's plans of conquest, the years of advice and guidance he had lavished on the heir to Stonemount's throne. Dermed had expressed some disappointment in Jago's slower pace. He blamed the many years of service Jago had given him, Thanks to Dermed's magic, Jago was nearly 200 years old, but barely looked past 40. Maddox could look forward to twice as long a life in Dermed's service, and all the power and wealth he could ever desire as emperor, head of a dynasty that controlled all the land south of the Cascade Mountains. After the fury and a sense of drowning at learning that Jago had been manipulating him rather than helping him, that his vows of loyalty and dedication were somewhat false, Maddox had felt relief. From the nagging sense of guilt every time he resented Jago's lectures and reminders about their plan, from knowing he would be justified some day when he tossed Jago aside like another no longer useful tool, or the too mature letter from Arden. If Dermad was disappointed in Jago's performance of late, then that meant Maddox was justified in his disappointment as well. No, far from it, Jago chuckled. Maddox wanted to slap that fond little smile off his advisor's face, maybe choke that amusement out of his throat as well. These farmer nobles mature a little faster than the pretty bits of decorative royal fluff in bigger kingdoms like Ambray, and they hold far tighter to a sense of honor than anyone with good sense would do. 
If she promised never to tell anyone about your correspondence, you can be sure Arden will go to her deathbed without telling, Jago said. No, she's showing some good sense, that's all, in wanting to finish her education. That gives you more time to wrap her silly, simple little heart more securely in your net. And yes, you would be wise to delight her with visits. Dazzle her with your manners and eloquence and good looks. Get close enough to find out if you have any rivals. Rivals, Maddox said. Who or what is there in that kingdom, or the surrounding kingdoms, to steal her heart from me? The fact that those young men are there, at hand, while you are far away, should give you some concern. Simple-minded folk like her will always value what's at hand over a far-off promise. Stop being a mere promise of delight, Maddox. Give her a taste of the reality. Reality. He snorted and clenched his fist again to swipe Arden's tiny portrait off his desk. Right next to her was Bianca of Ambre. After her was Sylvia of Sunderfield, each a bride destined to fall victim to his charms and give him a son to some day inherit his grandfather's throne, after all other claimants were eliminated. Maddox understood the order of attack, though he chafed. Arden had only one brother to eliminate, Alex. Bianca had three. Silva had an older brother and sister, both of whom had a child each. Assassins were already getting into position, carefully, slowly, learning the surrounding countryside and the habits of the people surrounding their targets. The barriers to kingship couldn't all be eliminated in one sweeping attack, though Maddox would have preferred it, just like he would have preferred some of those obnoxious, too noble for their own good princes to know why they had to die. Everything had to be done delicately, discreetly, so no one would ever suspect the grand plan, even after everything came together many years in the future. Far too many years in the future. He had to wait three years, apparently, before he could finish seducing Arden. Bianca would be eighteen next year. Why couldn't he dazzle her first? It wouldn't be so hard to convince stupid, gullible little Arden that it had been a political marriage. Maddox thought it would be rather clever of him to come to her with a broken heart and play on her sympathy. Silly farmer girls adored babies, didn't they? If she was reluctant, if she was stupid enough to feel a little betrayed by his marrying Bianca first, he could always trap her with his desperate need for a mother for his orphaned son. Maddox pretended to accept Jaco's advice and nearly shrieked his impatience when the ridiculous, overbearing old traitor stayed in his office, talking for another half hour. When the man finally left, he sat down and plotted out his new plan to trap Bianca first. A chill finger raced down his back as it occurred to him that it would be wise to clear this plan with Dermad first. Just because Jago had become a disappointment didn't mean he was entirely a fool and incompetent. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. Congratulations to Dana Lee, Mount Zion Ridge Press author, whose fantasy adventure novel, The Vermilion Riddle, is a finalist in the debut category of the 2023 Realm Awards competition. A combination of Lord of the Rings and Pride and Prejudice, Dana takes her readers into a world where rebels scheme to open the door between the fairy realm and the human world in hopes of conquest, domination, and revenge. 
The Vermilion Riddle by Dana Lee, published by Mount Zion Ridge Press. And now, back to the story. Arden's 15th birthday had been like a silent signal to other kingdoms with sons looking for brides. Two days before Maddox arrived on a surprise visit, Prince Brandon of Ambray came on a long diplomatic mission. He made it clear that he wasn't there entirely to discuss trade agreements and problems with brigands on the shared border with Westerland. He was a wonderful dancer and didn't even blink the first time he saw Arden riding astride in trousers rather than side saddle. Prince Tomas of the Jaschenburg had choked and stumbled when he saw her riding, but he had a lovely baritone voice and could compose funny rhymes at a moment's notice. Both princes made it clear they extended their stays to inconvenience each other and Maddox. Arden was slightly ashamed to realize she liked how Maddox glared at the other two princes, and she felt a funny sense of gleeful pride when he lost his elegant manners and snarled at them. He managed to meet up with her for a few moments of privacy in the gardens at dusk, just long enough for one startling stolen kiss before her closest companion and lady's maid, Caitlin, caught up with them. That was all they had, but it was enough to dream on for months afterward. That sudden influx of suitors slapped Arden hard with a realization she hadn't fully considered, except as something far off and slightly unreal. When she married, she would have to leave Westerland. The more she thought about leaving the fields and forests, the farms and villages she loved, the little ache deepened in her soul. How could she be happy in her new home if she had abandoned her first duty, her first love? The thought of Westerland having no one to guard the grasses and wildflowers and encourage the grain to grow tall and sweet saddened her. As the winter snows deepened, she confided her trepidation to Glinna. If only there was some way she could leave part of herself in the land of her birth. They talked long into the stormy winter nights. That spring, Arden traveled everywhere across Westerland, and when it was safe, crossed the borders to the farming and woodland communities of neighboring kingdoms, seeking the old stories and half-forgotten and only rumored bits of the most ancient magic. She visited huts and cottages where the hedge-lores were kept by word of mouth, and herb mistresses stored their memories in tiny living trees. She spent days digging through ancient libraries full of dusty scrolls and newly printed books, looking for stories and theories. Glinna had never encountered another green magic wielder during her decades traveling the continent, and Arden didn't dare cross the sea to another continent to seek out another plant-wise with more knowledge and experience than Glinna. Until Yeshin sent the steward to talk with them, they could only work based on speculations. Spring turned to summer, and Arden was busy with her usual duties during the growing season. She sometimes wept in gratitude that she wasn't so distracted with her new quest that she shorted Westerland. The harvest was doubly bountiful that year, and all her travels served to spread the blessing of her magic, even into neighboring kingdoms. Glinna just chuckled when they received news of that, and reminded Arden that magic and giftings needed to be shared and grew more powerful with the sharing. Still, despite the bounty she had brought to Westerland, Arden was relieved to settle down after the harvest. She talked to herb wives and lore masters and ancient grannies and gaffers, sitting at the fires as winter howled around them and tried to reach down the chimneys. When spring came, so did the steward. 
Arden sensed the thrumming of what she could only describe as joy, pulsing through the ground, spreading outward from the massive old oak where he sat. A new perfume filled the air, constantly changing, never lingering long enough for her to describe it. With Glenna close beside her, she followed that thrumming, that perfume, through fields bursting with emerald life, to her favorite stream and the oak where she liked to sit on a wide bench and daydream, and let the trees and fields and flowers sing to her. She stepped around the oak and saw the man. For two heartbeats she was startled, but then she knew who he was. Outwardly, he was just a thin young man, with a thick cap of nut-brown hair, skin a shade lighter, green eyes, a thin dusting of beard, and slightly dusty traveling clothes of rough spun and leather. His smile wiped away her momentary trepidation and made her feel breathless as she went to her knees next to him. "'Don't leave Westerland, dear heart,' he murmured. "'I don't want to, but if my father—' She flushed hot and couldn't meet his smiling eyes. "'Am I being silly?' "'It's never silly to love, to join your soul in delight and abandon to another soul.' He winked. "'I've only recently been blessed with that gift, and it takes my breath away whenever I think of her. I'm constantly wondering how I could be so lucky that she loves me.' He laughed, and Arden laughed with him. "'Her duties could send her away, though,' Glenna said. She neatly folded her legs and floated down until she sat facing them, so they made a little triangle. "'Those of us with great giftings have greater obligations to sacrifice.' "'Yes,' he said, "'and you show great wisdom and devotion in wanting to prepare against that day, Princess of Westerland. What I am about to show you is within your skills and strength, but be warned.' The stronger the magic and the more powerful the blessing, the greater the danger of it turning to poison and curse. Your heart will be too tightly tied into this gift for your kingdom, and the heart can destroy when it is broken. He tapped two fingers to his breastbone, then gestured at Arden's chest. You must be strong, you must be pure, and you must fight against bitterness, no matter how tempting. What he told them to do surprised Arden with the simplicity— Glenna laughed when she confessed that surprise to her on their long walk home to the palace. "'The most effective and useful magic is often the simplest,' her teacher agreed. The plan, however, could not be implemented now. Arden needed time to gather up the energy this task would require, a little at a time. She needed to weave together the life and beauty and purity of Westerland all through the growing season and the harvest. Maddox visited three times— and each time he managed to steal a minute here, a minute there, to dazzle Arden with kisses and words of passion and poetry that often brought her to tears. A year ago, she would have gladly fled Westerland with him, to marry in secret and toss aside her duty to her family kingdom. Now, though, with the magic task awaiting her after the harvest, Arden refused to leave. She shivered when Maddox stormed at her, and accused her of being a flirt and a minx and playing games with his heart. She finally confided her courtship heartaches to Caitlin, and her friend told her she should feel flattered that a man was desperately in love with her, to the point of fury. Arden wasn't so sure, especially when she caught Darian giving her those sad, longing, hungry looks. He had drifted away once the princes started their courtship, and envoys came to investigate the possibility of a diplomatic marriage. He was still there, still her brother's best friend, still her willing companion when she had to travel long distances to help farmers having difficulties with their crops. 
but the warmth and cozy sense of safety had fled. Why did she have to be royalty, with so many obligations weighing on her? Would Maddox have ever noticed her if she wasn't the Princess of Westerland? Sometimes she resented the task waiting for her after the harvest finished, because preparing her kingdom for the day she had to leave it somehow made that day seem close at hand and dreadful. Worse yet, Arden feared she wasn't ready for the massive release of all the energy and life she had been storing up since spring. What if she failed? What if her conflicting feelings and the twisting in her heart somehow blocked that release of magic? She was sixteen now. The pressure to marry would increase at her seventeenth birthday and grow to the bursting point on her eighteenth. Trust in Yeshin, Glynna said, when Arden tried, with stumbling words, to explain all the questions and fears bursting to escape her. Focus on the task in front of you and trust in Yeshin. Put yourself in the Maker's hands. She chuckled. If all else fails, convince yourself you simply don't give two figs for all that ridiculousness waiting to pounce on you. You are plant-wise, and guiding and guarding life is your purpose and your joy. Rest in that. Don't give two figs, Arden whispered, and somehow she was able to laugh. You mean be a child again, don't you? Isn't that what you've been telling me for years? To dive into the magic and live in the now? Focus on what I can do? And let Yeshin take care of tomorrow? Of course! And don't sigh and roll your eyes and mutter how you know all that. Knowing and application are two distinctly different things, as far apart as the East is from the West, Glynna said. Don't I know it? Another chuckle escaped Arden. Yeshin, help me to let go? The first chill of fall crept across the land, bringing whispers of the sleep to come. The day finally came. Somehow, Arden had changed inside, and she looked forward to this day instead of dreading it and all the changes it signaled. After all, what if she failed? No, don't think about failing, she told herself. I have to do this. For Westerland. For my family. For Yeshin. With no more claims on her gifting, Arden's magical strength increased, flowing through her in giddy waves. In previous falls, she had regularly poured the overflow of magic into bags of seeds, which were given as gifts at winter solstice in anticipation of the spring planting. Not this year. She waited, restraining the energy trying to spill out of her, until she felt as if her skin tingle itched all over her body. Then Arden got to work, pouring everything she had, everything she had learned from Glynna, into an apple seed. For six days she concentrated on the seed, clenched warm and tight in her moist palm, pouring her energy, her love for Westerland, her magic into the tiny brown nugget of life. It struggled against her clasp, but she refused to let it burst into life. Not yet. On the seventh day, she rose before the sun and went to her workroom. She filled a pot with moist, rich soil, filtering it through her hands so green-gold sparks of magic dusted into the pot. Then, as the sun rose, with Glynna hovering over her shoulder, Arden retrieved the seed from the protective little fold of cloth tucked under her pillow. She unwrapped it and held it between her palms, breathing on the seed and concentrating all her love and hopes and dreams for Westerland into the bit of brown hardness one-third the size of her pinky nail. Opening her palms so the light and the rising sun could hit the seed, Arden closed her eyes and begged Yeshin's blessing. 
then smiled and whispered, Now, to the seed and to herself. She let go all the tight bonds that held the seed closed, despite the surging energy of magic and life that strained it to the bursting point. Green gold sparks of magic washed over her body, stirring her unbound hair that hung past her knees. It flipped up the lacy edge of her nightshirt and curled a cool breeze around her bare toes. The seed jumped, nearly leaping from her palm. As it tumbled back down to its safe resting place, five thread-like green shoots burst out from all sides. Arden's eyes snapped open and she stared at the growing shoots in amazed delight. The pale green tendrils of life darkened and thickened and doubled in length with every other heartbeat. Quickly, child, Glinna whispered. Laughing, Arden turned to stick her tongue out at the woman, then nearly stumbled over her own feet as she darted across her workroom to the long table full of pots and baskets of soil and watering pails, sticks and trowels and herbs. She caught up a handful of rich black soil from the pot she had prepared and gently tipped her other hand to let the growing shoots fall in. Hands trembling, she sprinkled the soil over the writhing, growing, bursting seed. Before she had finished and reached for the watering pail, four shoots had merged into one long strand nearly a foot tall, straight up, before it suddenly shot out a dozen leaves. None of them was larger than the tip of Arden's thumb, and so pale green they were almost white. As she slowly sprinkled water into the soil, the leaves tripled in size and turned a healthy, vibrant green, deeper than emeralds. "'Well, Auntie,' she breathed, as the little sapling put out three branches, nearly scraping the tip of her nose before she could step backward. Wrapping her arms around herself, ignoring her wet and dirty hands, she pirouetted around the room until she sprawled on the padded bench against the wall opposite the table. She giggled and reveled in the oddly dizzy, hollow feeling that pulsed through her. At the back of her mind, she was softly aware of the still-growing tree, as if it grew within her thoughts as well as in the pot sitting on her work table. Very good! Glynna's eyes sparkled with delight. This tree will be a blessing wherever it is planted. It will protect Westerland for decades after you've died. Oh, Pooh! Who wants to talk about death on such a gorgeous day? I've done it! She drew her knees up to her chest and rocked backward. The slight knock of the back of her head against the wall only prompted more giggles. Your magic will remain in Westerland and protect it no matter where you go, no matter how far away your father has to send you. I pray, Yeshen, you never have to leave. Who cares about politics and alliances? This is far more important. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.